Hey folks, thanks for tuning in again, or for the first time, to my silly little podcast, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I ferret through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and take a lighthearted, positive, fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless, set theme every episode, and I sometimes highlight some rock and roll bed shits just for some fun. It's really just an attempt to archive some stories, old YouTube interviews, and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of laid-back, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some music or some merch, or listen to an old favourite album, and check out all this amazing shit that I adore, which has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think if I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at thisisnotarealemailaddress at gofeckyegoodself.cockgoblin.com. That's cock spelt with two Ks, and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast or via the website a rock and roll rabbit hole.com that's com spelt with a c the website also has spotify playlist of all of the songs used in each episode past episodes as well and some other golden magic and i also have some small playlists of the great lesser known artists that i like to highlight at the end of each episode on the victims tab of the website Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. If you are digging it, that's super helpful and genuinely appreciated. Thanks again. Apologies in advance, and here goes. Tell me when will you be mine? Tell me quando, quando, quando. Lady and gentlemen. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. And if not, I hope this episode tickles some part of your anatomy, with consent, of course. When will you say yes to me? Tell me quando, quando, quando. So, I took a couple of weeks off about 10 months ago. And I sort of got busy straightening up some bent corners of my life and got super brain busy with my new original band, Pretty Follies, who are now in the middle of recording an album that I'll hope you'll all check out and dig when it comes out. And I'm loving being back in the thick of a working original band. I also did some brief touring on bass with Body Jar, which was great fun. You can check out their Queefree anywhere online. And just as a shameless plug, can you please follow us on Instagram, Pretty Follies Band, and we'll be posting some tunes soon. I might even play a demo of one of the songs at the end of this episode. Anyway, thanks again for letting me come in your ear for an hour or so. Had to listen to an episode, the first episode I've listened to, just to remember what to do here. And I think I recall the order of fluff. So here goes. So way back in episode 33, Songs About Booze, we heard Oasis's Champagne Supernova with a tag that says the word why five times in a row. Check it out here. Why? 
I like the fact that people actually seem to think that every single thing I write is a drug reference. Walking, right, slowly walking down the hall faster than a cannonball. Shall I tell you what that actually means? Please do. Right, there was a children's television programme called Trumpton. Yeah. Back in when I was growing up. And they, there was, it used to be a scene every episode where it, it was, they were puppets, right? And a train used to pull up at this stately home and pick up the fucking whoever it was, the lord of the manor. And he used to walk down this hall really slowly. And I just assumed that the train's name was Cannonball. But actually, the Cannonball was a train in another children's television oh, programme. You've got it mixed up, yeah. but it fit perfectly. Yeah, but I think it's, an up, up, it's about uppers and downers. It's amazing. Well done. Yes. Mm. What the fucking genius. Yeah. <laughs> now, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. So for this episode, I'm rabbit holing on songs that I love that say a word three or more times. Let's just lay down some loose rules. It can't be a repeated line or words like. Three words in a row, like these cheese rolls. So let's get into it. Episode 54, Triple Plus. So let's kick it off with a triple titled Nine in a Row, Sad, Sad, Sad. Sad, Sad, Sad was track one from the Rolling Stones album from 1989, Steel Wheels. And Steel Wheels was the album that kind of relaunched the Stones after a break, which almost apparently split the band up. It was the band's 19th album, and Mick and Keith had both released solo albums both of which I love, Mick's Primitive Cool in 1987, which was his second solo album after 1985's She's the Boss, and Keith's debut solo album, Talk Is Cheap, in 1988. And there was heaps of chat about the Stones maybe calling it quits. I caught up with Mick, and uh, then I caught up with uh, Keith and Ron, who uh, are wild boys, and I asked Mick, you know, about whether, you know, the tiff between him and Keith, he said, well, you know, didn't happen, and then Keith, of course, said this. Anyhow, have a look at this, and uh, <laughs> work out for yourself, hopefully, and it's up so, to you people out there. Hang on, you, you've asked a question, and you've got two different answers, you mean? From well, the, yeah, from the hopefully, yeah. Oh, well, this I will mean, be fun, have a look at this. Okay. Was it hard to sort of, like, pull it all back together again? No, not really. I, I thought it was very, what was hard was to make the decision not to tour that year, because I think the band was at a very low point, and you can't really tour at a low point. Mm-hmm. You have to tour when you're really eager and, and, and more up and yeah. healthier. Yeah, right. right. And everyone then was like down and miserable and getting at each other. And Now looking back at it in retrospect that it was a necessary break 
and that uh, Time to the, best, the best thing you can do with things like that is to see what you can learn and then when it does come back together to put what you've learned into a sort of positive thing you know, oh. and, to put, and, so, and to put something negative that seems to be negative in the first place and actually turn it into an advantage and that's in a way which is you know the stones incredible luck once again they've managed to do then there was all the press and, you know you can believe it what you like in the press um to the point then of you and keith getting back together again and going off to barbados yeah um i mean it's probably personal but how did when you got to barbados was it, how did you sort of sit down and write songs i mean was it sort of like well keith said it was very he was like very nervous about it and so on yeah. but i i just um I wasn't really nervous at all. Maybe I'm a bit insensitive. I just sat down and just went straight on with it. I didn't really feel that bad. I mean, it didn't feel any worse than any other time. I said to the old lady, I'm supposed to be going and write songs with Mick for two weeks. So I'll see you in two weeks or two days. Yeah. That's as much as I knew at the time. I, and, you know, which proves I have an open mind. Right. Yeah, so I went in there and... Uh, Suddenly it was easy. Is it okay? I mean, how do you write your songs, you and me? I mean, do you... Is it lyrics come first, melodies? What happens? Uh, the, the most beautiful, easy way is when the hook or the main theme of the lyrics, you know, which is just in the trade known as the hook, uh, comes at the same time as the phrase. It doesn't happen a lot, but... Now and again it does, and it so happened that I walked into a room that's no bigger than this, Mick and I alone. Within a half an hour or so, we had a couple of good ideas going, and a couple of other things that we wanted to really want to work on this and that. And so we suddenly got so involved in just what it was, the reason that we were there, to write songs, that the only time we took a break was when we started to laugh at it, what we'd said about each other for three years. You know, do you remember when in the Daily Mirror you called me a... Yeah. Like, ah, ha, 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 and we were both rolling on the floor, you know, which is something that you can't do with loads of other people around. Steel Wheels was Bill Wyman's last record on bass for the band, and Sad, Sad, Sad features a pretty cool bass line from Ronnie Wood. So here it is, the nine times mentioning sad, 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 sad. So a few more Stone songs before we move on. And one song that needs no introduction and has a triple word is this one. So here's a song we heard way back in episode 22 and 23's Body Parts. And it's one of my favourite 70s Stone songs. It's a great drum groove, great intro and a great Mick Jagger vocal and seven nevers in a row. Beast of Burden. Burden never 
Start Me Up also has a triple never in it. Start Me Up was released in August of 81, but was recorded way back in 1978 and demoed even further back in 1975 as a song with a working title of Never Stop. Number one in Australia, number two in Canada and America, number seven in the UK, and number eight in Norway. And I think Italy, let's have a look here. And number 33 in New Zealand, which is about four records sold. So the Stone single released sequentially before Start Me Up was released in September 1980. And it's the triple cold mentioning, she's so cold. Quickly circling back on the word never, Cold Chisel's Choir Girl has a triple never, and Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, has a quadruple never. Choir Girl was released in November 1979 and went to number 14 on the Australian charts. It was written by Cold Chisel keyboard player Don Walker, and he said this about the song. And I quote, I made a conscious attempt to write a hit single. It was a matter of pride and craft. Then I thought, What'll I write it about? And I wrote it about pregnancy termination and it was a massive hit. She's my connection. of choir that I'll accept and yes I looked and thank fuck there wasn't a choir version of choir girl and here's tears for fears nevers
So a song that uses the word never a bunch of times, but not three in a row, is the Kaiser Chiefs never miss a beat, but it does have the word beat in it four times in a row. Great song Never There by Cake has the word ever in it three times. Cake at the Post by One Ever is a great Melbourne band who I caught live a few weeks ago at the Corner Hotel in Richmond that has a great one-word chorus that mentions the word ever four times in four different ways. Horsehead Ever. To laugh at all they've been saying Will these people ever aim their guns upon themselves, I wonder Tokyo creates a storm in 
San Francisco The chaos here applies to me You could kill me with three words You're no good, I hang my head I see my feet still standing It's alright Will I ever trust myself enough To know this without looking and wondering Schneider, better known as Billy Idol's double name guitarist Steve Stevens, talking about the next song's great intro. One of those kind of like blues things where, where you had the right hand was doing an independent bass line to a. Uh, to, to... <laughs> So if you combine that kind of way of thinking and also some of the Keith Emerson things where he's got, um, you know, I always loved the fact that keyboard players could play an independent part on the right hand and then keep a, a different bass line going. So, um, you know, we had, we had Rebel Yell as a song and then, and then the thing that, uh, that uh, we'd always say is we need a flag at the front kind of like going, hey, here we come. Um, that was usually a guitar thing and that was like even in, you know, White Wedding, uh, we came up with it. It's just, you know, it's one of those silly little things, but the minute you hear it, you go, oh, it's Billy Idol, White Wedding. So with Rebel Yell, it was just uh Including their delay, I count nine mores in Billy Idol's Rebel Yell. Last night a little dancer came dancing to my door. Last night a 
let's move on. The end theme to one of my favourite TV shows ever, Only Fools and Horses, has six or seven bushes in it. We've got some off-price crack ties, some miles and miles of carpet tiles, TVs, deep freeze, and David Bowie LPs, pool games, gold chains, wuss names, and Edda Push, and Trevor Francis track suits from a mush and shepherd's bush. Bush, 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 bush. No income tax, no V8, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll come prices at a straw. So let's get negative for a while and head into the nose. And here's seven super famous nose. Amy Winehouse gives us three nose spelled N O, then three nose spelled K N O W. And then three goes as well. Billy Joel's Big Shot has six no's in a row. Australian Crawl's Boys Light Up has five no's. Motley Crue's Same Old Situation has six no's. While we're on Motley Crue, the melodies of the nose in Same Old Situation are very similar to Girls, Girls, Girls. And at the end of Girls, 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 there's 12 girls in a row, then a guitar solo, and before another word is sung, there's three more girls at the end, so 15 in total, and here they are.
end of Motley Crue's, uh, Mick Mars' touring tenure with Motley Crue. He's saying he's remaining a member of the band, but let's be honest, it's pretty unlikely that Motley Crue makes new music, at least with Mick, if, if somebody else is coming in to play guitar. And I think what that really means, my, my reading between the lines on that, is I think a lot of that is from a business standpoint. I'm sure Mick has not sold out his piece of the band. And that happens a lot. When people leave bands, they can either take a buyout, meaning they get paid a big chunk of money to have nothing to do with nothing, or they retain their percentage of their interest in the band and can make money even on touring when they're not in it. I mean, hypothetically, I mean, I guess if if Motley did uh, press stuff or potentially a new record or something, maybe Mick would appear as part of it. But let's be honest, if they introduce a new guitar player, which they're clearly going to do because they're clearly going to continue and they have already have a huge tour set up. They're, they're no doubt going to move forward with that guitar player. So I think framing it as retiring from touring is a nice way to say it. And they're citing, of course, his health issues. And these guys want to go to Europe and they're going full bore here. Very difficult for a guy with mixed condition, obviously, as you would imagine. I also, and I said this on social media, and I, I don't say this just off the top of my head. I mean, I talk to people. I know things. I think Mick was extremely conflicted about Motley Crue breaking their pact to not come back from their retirement. He was open about that. Uh, he talked about that. He, when it first was announced, even on social media, he was almost apologetic about that and felt bad because he felt it kind of misled the fans a little bit. I mean, there were a lot of people that, honestly, when the Motley reunion was announced, Sure, there's a lot of people that have totally forgotten about the contract and all of that. But there were, and we heard from a lot of them on this show that were not happy because they backed up the truck financially to go to those last few shows because the contract, we're never touring again, we're never coming back to see that last show. And, you know, there were some people that felt burned by it. Let's just be honest, including, you know, Mick, who almost apologized for it. So, I think he felt, okay, maybe we'll do this stadium tour thing and then we're done again. And then when the band was like, no, we're doing Europe, we're doing this, we're back, back full time. There's no way he could have endured doing that. So it's not surprising at all to me that this has happened. There are rumors everywhere about what's happening next. Again, I'm not going to dodge it. The biggest rumor out there for the last couple of weeks is is John coming into that gig. And we know he's got a huge friendship with Nikki. They've worked together. Uh, we know that last Rob Zombie show, John did not perform with them, with Mick officially announcing he is done with touring with Motley Crue. And it's crazy when you think about it too. Mick Mars has never not been in Motley Crue. They existed without Tommy, couple different drummers. They toured and made a record without Vince. We all know that. The Constants from day one in Motley Crue have been Mick and Nikki. So that was Eddie Trunk talking about Mick Mars from Motley Crue. So to hear all of my Mick Mars love, you can check out the Motley Crue episode from earlier in the year. And it looks like John Five is taking his place. So back to the nose, here's Frank Zappa with a contradictory, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And broken hearts are for assholes. What you gonna do? Cause you're an asshole. Maybe you think you're a lonely guy. And 
Alrighty, let's head over to Beatles Corner. Can't Buy Me Love has four no's at the end of the first chorus. And let's have a listen to the Beatles live in Melbourne in 64, Ringo's first gig back after missing a few gigs from being sick. Anyway, join in, you know, do what you feel like. The numbers go... The numbers go... Can't Buy Me Love. Can't Buy Me Love. So tired has three in a row, no? I'm so tired, I haven't slept a wing. I'm so tired, my mind is on the blink. I wonder, should I get up and fix myself a drink? No, no, no. And I'm going to chuck in I've Got a Feeling. I'm not sure if they're saying Ono, as in Yoko Ono, or Oh No as two words, so I'll just chuck it in as Yoko Ono, times three. And if you leave me, I won't be there again. Multiple love mentions. The first one is Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie. And I think this next song has four lovers, then six loves, and then another three lovers. Lover, you should have come over, Jeff Buckley. Kenny. Yes, there were a few differences. You see, what happened was the fellow from the BBC, an organisation which I'm sure you've heard of, asked us to uh, get together a song for this, you see. So he said, well, we'll get together one with nice, easy words so that everyone can understand it. And he said, all right, then, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. So we went away and we just played Monopoly for a bit. And then the fellow said, now, where's the song? So we said, ah, don't worry, Derek. His name was Derek Burrell Davis. So don't worry, Derek Burrell Davis. We'll soon have a song for you. So John and I just got together 
thought, now, uh, mm-hmm, blah, 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 we thought, blah. And I wrote one, and John wrote one. And we went to the session, and we just decided to do his first. Anyway, by the time we'd done the backing track for his, we suddenly realised that his, his was the one, you see, all you need is love. Perfect, you know, just for, to say, if you're going to say any message, then that's a fine, wonderful message to say, you see. So we just put that one, uh, uh, put the track down, and then we did the vocal and everything, and it turned into it. So we still got mine ready to do for the next one, which is of a similar nature in its simplicity, but with a different message. Nine mentions of love, two bars of 7-4, two bars of 4-4. All you need is love, the Beatles. Love, Paul sings three yeah, yeah, yeahs as he revisits She Loves You. So that's two songs that have multiple yeahs from the Beatles. All You Need Is Love with three and She Loves You with four. Think you've lost your it, was, it was quite crazy. Who spoke though? German? George and I spoke a little bit because we learned it at school, uh, but we didn't know it wasn't madly useful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the only bit, <laughs> the only thing we knew actually was Jakob wurde Frechte von Alan Fergal und ich je gesehen habe. Which means, roughly when translated, <laughs> Jacob was the cheekiest of all ravens I have ever seen. She licks what? March 1964, the Beatles re-recorded I Wanna Hold Your Hand and She Loves You into German and released it as a double A-sided single. And it went to number one in West Germany and that's about it. Not even Norway wanted that shit. Anyway, back to the Beatles years. So I did a bit of a dig to see if I could find any more songs that had multiple years in it from the Beatles. And here's what I found. So earlier we heard I've Got a Feeling with its O-Nos, but I'm pretty sure they're O-Nos, but it does have multiple years in it later on in the song. And here's the three years in a row. I liked um, 
Palatine Pam because of its Liverpoolness. She's the kind of a girl that makes the news of the world. And you could say she was attractively built. Nobody writes kind of comic stuff, but that still has a certain seriousness about it. Like Polythene Pan was like a really good rock and roll song, really. But yeah, I don't. It bothers me sometimes when something's so obviously funny and nobody laughs and nobody ever gets it. That was George Harrison talking about John's triple-yared Polythene Pan off one of my favourite records, Abbey Road. And on the same record, George is a triple offender in Here Comes the Sun. Anyway, back to the years. The last multiple year song I found for the Beatles was the opening track from their second UK release with the Beatles. And it's a song they never played live. It has six years in a row. It won't be long. I'm Michael Stipe. And I'm Mike Mills, and we're from REM. We made a record called Automatic for the People in 1991, 1992, and we wrote the song Man on the Moon. It's a very strummy song, and you know, it's kind of washy and pushy and slushy as it moves along, and that's what I like about it. One of the standout stems would have to be Peter's slide guitar because it's not something you heard on, on a lot of uh, REM stuff, if any. That's kind of a, one of the secret weapons on this song. The most important part of this song for me is the bass line, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but Thank you. it's such a powerful, when I feel lost in a track, I would anchor myself with the bass. Andy, did you hear about this one? One of the things just that R.E.M. did so well between me and Bill and Michael is there were a lot of counter melodies and counter uh, patterns going on. Scott and Cliff, our producer and engineer, um, there was one background vocal that I just loved and they kind of didn't. And guess what? It kind of got remixed again. Down. It goes... It's just, it's really obnoxious. Let's play Twister, let's play Risk. As with almost every, every R.E.M. song that we wrote, the music came first and then we handed it to Michael to finish lyrically. Nirvana had written a bunch of songs, Kurt had written a bunch of songs with the word yeah in them. And I, um, in a kind of joking way, 
uh, decided that I was going to write a song that had more yes in it than anything Kurt had ever written. And I did. I think I managed to do that. I think there are 54 yes in the song. But I was really bad at getting people to like clap along. Like it just felt so stupid to me. And at some point I started kind of urging the audience to sing the yes with us. Songs tend to tell you what they want as they go along. And you never know how they're going to end up. Positive Bleeding by Urge Overkill has four years in a row. Presley drops three years at the end of the chorus of All Shook Up. Well, I bless my soul, but what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. Here's two famous bass lines. This one's from 1989. This one's from 1986. 
That song is, of course, Peter Gabriel's five-year mentioning Sledgehammer. The Offspring have four songs that all have multiple years in it. Bad Habit, Self-Esteem, Gone Away, and All I Want. Now, when we were on Epitaph and, you know, we used to talk about songs a lot and there was a bunch of bands at the time. It was a really cool time with bands like Rancid and NoFX and Pennywise, that were all kind of coming up at the same time. Bad Religion was already a really well-known band. And I remember kind of a, a conversation around one time where everyone was joking around saying, we should write a try to write a bad religion song. We should have like a bad religion songwriting contest and see who writes the best one. And I was like, oh, that'd be easy, man. Cause you know, they, they have kind of a distinctive sound and stuff, you know, it's like, oh, I could come up with something like that. And I actually wrote this song and, uh, and I thought it sounded like bad religion. I thought it was kind of, kind of yeah. cool and kind yeah. of funny no, and stuff. It definitely and has that vibe to it for sure. So I tried to pitch uh, bad religion on it. We we're actually demoing songs for Smash. I go, oh, I got this one, it's perfect for you guys, you know? And uh, the guy, bad religion, well, whatever, Brett. <laughs> Brett goes, no, don't worry about it. Just uh, you know, play it for me later on acoustic or something. Don't even, don't even bother. So I was, I felt a little bit rejected and thought, okay, whatever. And then uh, you know, after after a while, I'm sitting around thinking of songs, the new record, going, you know, we could make this a song that sounded like us, I think, too, and stuff. But but we don't need the thesaurus. <laughs> to write the lyrics. Yeah. Well, that's so. the thing about bad religion songs is they always had uh, some pretty hefty vocabulary in it. So yeah. when, when I was joking around writing this song, uh, the, I called it Protocol. I thought, wouldn't that be great? We'll talk about protocol and, <laughs> you know, people walking around and they're robotic in their movements and it was stuff like that, you know? So I, I think the, the original chorus was something like, uh, you're back to the wall. That's <laughs> Sequestering your spirit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome, dude. That would have won the contest for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But had to change it and make it sound more like us. But. Gone Away was a really different song for us, and that we hadn't done a song that was a little slow before, really, and stuff. And uh, it was just an idea that we had, wanted to see what we can do with it. I think uh, a lot of what we really wanted to do at that time on Ixnay was kind of not just repeat the last album. So it was important to us to try to make a great album, and a great album that wasn't just a repeat of the album that we had before. And that was part of the attraction of doing a song like Gone Away, and that it was different. And, uh, you know, I think it was a real different song mood-wise, too. I mean, it's a real serious song. It's a, probably the most serious song we do and stuff. But, you know, people, can, you can read into it how you want, but it's about loss, basically, and um, losing some, someone. We've gotten so many letters from people that were talking about how their brother died or someone that had cancer, you know, their, their family members and stuff. And 
really heartbreaking to read some of these letters and stuff, but the really amazing thing that I pulled out of this was how much they really honestly felt that this song had helped them through a difficult time and stuff. So It's neat to be able to, to have any kind of effect like that that helps, helps people just deal with a, a rough time in their, their life. I mean, when you're writing a song, you're just trying to express an emotion. You're not thinking about <clears throat> anything down the road, but to have people who be so affected by this song and, and in a positive way is a great thing. One of the memories that stands out in my mind is, you know, we had the song, you know, all the parts, um, pretty simple chord progression. Um, and for the intro, you suggested that we do that, uh, we sing it, just kind of like gang vocals, just blah, 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 blah. We all thought you were crazy. We just all thought you were nuts, but I thought it was funny. Might as well give it a try, you know. See what happens. Well, we were going to um, start the song off on acoustic guitar. I was just going to do the four, the the, the chord progression was okay. through on acoustic, and we thought let's right. mix it up and do something different, make it a different kind of intro. So right. let's just do yeah the crazy law thing, and it sounded kind of silly, but tried it. I don't know. I remember we all kind of liked it. I think right. Was, oh, I thought it worked as soon as we heard it. Yeah, once the guitars come in, it just sounded so powerful. At first, you right. what, what the hell is this crap? And then once the guitars come in, it's like, right. oh, what's this crap? <laughs> well, you know, lyrically, it's not really, people ask me, who's it about? Is it about you or whatever? And I, I think that's a common uh, mistake that people make, is they think that if you write a song and say I in it or make it first person, people think it's autobiographical, you know, and of course it's not like that most of the time. And this is one of those cases where it's just, I, I could pull that together, that character kind of together from a lot of people that we knew, just kind of friends here and there. I'd heard stories like about, you know, the guy who girl, whose girlfriend comes to visit him at two in the morning, that sort of right. thing. And so, I mean, yeah, it wasn't about one particular person. But everybody's been through that machine, you know? I, I guess. It was <laughs> In one way or another. So many people could relate to that. Guys, girls, you know, old and young, so. By piecing it together from stories of different people, it became right. something that I think a lot of people could really relate to. Here's the years. And lastly, Bad Habit Boy Offspring has a bunch of years too. KKK took my baby away by the Ramones also has a triple year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 oh
one of my favourite bridges of all time, has a triple year in it as well. Okay, let's chuck a fork and triple up for now, and I will most likely be back with part two very soon. No promises, but very likely. I found a few other episodes I had researched, and I'll endeavour to get them out ASAP as well. And I have a couple of other topics planned. I appreciate you all taking some time to listen, and feel free not to rate and review the podcast, because I don't really give a shit anymore. But please do check out my new band, Pretty Follies, on Instagram, Pretty Follies Band, and Facebook as well. And after this, I'm going to play a demo of a song we are recording at the moment that has a triple all near the end. The song is called Come Out and Say It. And please follow us on Instagram and we'll be posting some new music early in 2023. Thanks again and I'll see you soon. It's a tangled mess of love and lies and low things I've just got to get it off my chest Get it out and give it breath Even if it sets fire to our nest Get it out and get it set Get it off my chest Get it out and give
enough to throw, big enough to throw, big enough to throw, big enough to throw it all away. Big enough to throw, big enough to throw, big enough to throw, big enough to throw it all away. Big enough to throw, big enough to throw, big enough to throw, big enough to throw it all away. Big enough to throw, big enough to throw, big enough to What was that?